0: Well, you might want to open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 21. I'm wondering how your week went. But of course, I can't know exactly. You know, sometimes you just feel weighed down. I'm sure you've been there. Seems like uh, your to-do list never gets shorter. Seems like it only gets longer. Even if it's just a bunch of unrelated tasks, a bunch of things that, you know, pass with urgency, um, at the end of it all, at uh, the end of a week, you, you might just feel a little spent, right? And that has to do with our message today. We're in Luke chapter 21, and I'd like to read this passage with you. It says, then he told them a parable. That's where we're starting. Then he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree. And all the trees, as soon as they put out leaves, you can see for yourselves and recognize that summer is already near. In the same way, when you see these things happening, recognize that the kingdom of God is near. I assure you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away. But my words will never pass away. Be on your guard so that your minds are not dulled from carousing, drunkenness, and worries of life. Or that day will come on you unexpectedly, like a trap. For it will come on all who live on the face of the whole earth. But be alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. During the day, he was teaching in the temple complex, but in the evening, he would go out and spend the night on what is called the Mount of Olives. Then all the people would come early in the morning to hear him in the temple complex. So... Somebody's streaming the service and listening to me preach. <laughs> the main point this morning is that an active hope, an active hope of his coming again awakens our hearts to be careful, guarding our hearts as we live daily lives, to, as we live our daily lives with godliness and anticipation. Anticipation. But I'd like to start today at verse 37. So at verse 37, it says, During the day he was teaching in the temple complex, but in the evening he would go out and spend the night on what is called the Mount of Olives. Then all the people would come early in the morning to hear him in the temple complex. So each day he was in the temple, and each evening he was back up the hill to the Mount of Olives. I wanted to stop here and just notice how this chapter both begins and ends uh, he, in verse 1 of the chapter, says, he looked up and he saw the rich dropping their offerings into the temple treasury. How many of you were here last week or got to listen online to last week's sermon? It was the whole first part of chapter 21. It was, it was mostly the entire thing. And it's the temple. Jesus was in the temple and he was looking across and he was observing these offerings being given. The temple, it's the center of of worship, right? The center of worship of our creator, the place of his dwelling. So this is where Jesus has been going the last several days after he's gotten to Jerusalem. Finally, he's been going to the temple. He was teaching, debating, unsettling the status quo. So if you didn't hear the message last week, I encourage you to get it. It's online, uh, you know, Sept. Uh, was October 11th. It was Pastor Matt. He taught us through the whole, whole chapter. I encourage you to watch it And uh, but that's the setting of of where we're at. The bookends of this chapter are all about the temple, and and this is the glory. This is where the glory of the temple complex. The temple becomes the bookends and uh, of this discussion about Jerusalem, the temple, and the end times. And so he uses this setting to reveal what to expect in the days ahead and how to live life in light of what is to come. So you'll see in verse 5 and 6, as some were talking about the temple complex, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God, he said, these things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left on another, and that will not be, oh, and that will not be thrown down. So in verse 7, they ask him the question, what will be the sign when these things are going to come, about to take place? So Jesus starts to answer their questions about when this temple destruction is going to happen. Verse 8, there's going to be false messiahs. In 9 and 10, there's going to be nations in uprising against one another. In verse 11, earthquakes and famines and pestilences, uh, which is a fatal epidemic disease. Verse 20 to 24, all of Jerusalem will be surrounded, trampled, the city, Mount Zion. Verse 20, 21, he, starts to, he refers to all these prophecies that have been written about this city, Mount Zion and his temple. In verse 25 to 28, he starts to mention that there will be signs both in the heavens and on earth. In the heavens, the stars, the moon, and the sun will provide discourse on what's happening. The nations are going to be perplexed about the sea. That's interesting to me. Verse 27, then finally, the Messiah, Jesus himself, will come in the clouds with glory and power. And to pick up where we left off last week, Matt pointed out in verse 28 that Jesus says, but when these things begin to take place, stand up, lift up your heads because your redemption is near. And that's the title of our sermon today, Redemption is Near. So one, we should be able to recognize the times that we're in. So we're going to read our passage, starts at verse 29. He told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. So Jesus has a parable, but it's pretty brief and it's quite straightforward. He told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees as soon as they put out their leaves you can see for yourselves and recognize that summer is already near. In the same way when you see these things happening recognize that the kingdom of God is near. You should be able to recognize that the kingdom of God is near because of all these signs that should catch your attention. So, beware of the signs. Be aware of them. But God has been asking us to actively anticipate his kingdom ever since he left. And he hasn't given us the return date. In fact, Jesus himself didn't know the date. Matthew 24. It wasn't revealed to him the date he was coming back. And you have not been given the date. So instead, we have some signs to watch for. The same signs that the early believers were watching for. So now 32 and 33. I assure you this generation will certainly not pass away until all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So this one's a little bit difficult to be uh, precise about what it means. It could mean the people that are in that current generation would be seeing the destruction of the the. Jerusalem that they were in at the time that they were overlooking um, at the moment, and uh, that they would be able to see it. It happened in 70 AD. Uh, the Babylonians and Matt described how they did it, uh, and and that could be what he's talking about, or maybe he's using that as a as a, as a type of the the second coming uh, and and the end times and those that are there in that generation who see that they will they will see all of these things take place. They will see the whole unfolding of all of these, uh, of all of these. So that one, that one's a little, you know, tricky, but the real concern of our passage today is what should we do? He's transitioning from, yeah, these are the signs that you should be aware of, but here's how I want you to live. And he says in Luke 21, 34 to 36, be on your guard so that your minds are not dulled from carousing, drunkenness, the worries of life. Or that day will come on you unexpectedly, like a trap, for it will come on all who live on the face of the whole earth. But be alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. So, point two, we should be on guard for our hearts and our minds. We need to be on guard. Be careful of the dulling that's caused by carousing, drunkenness, and the worries of life. I want to flip through a few translations of this verse. So let's start. What do we have on the board here? Uh, be on your guard so that your minds are not dulled from carousing, drunkenness, the worries of this life, or that day will come on you unexpectedly. Okay, NIV. Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you unexpectedly, like a trap. Uh, Let's go to the next one. (laughs) (laughs) But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day may come upon you suddenly like a trap. Watch yourselves, and take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting drunkenness and the cares of this life, so that day will come upon you unawares. King James Version from 1900. Be careful. If you aren't, your hearts will be loaded down with wasteful living, drunkenness, and the worries of life. Then the day the Son of Man returns will close on you like a trap. You will not be expecting it. All right. That's good. Is there any more? Oh, the young literal translation. And take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts may be weighed down with surfeiting, drunkenness, and anxieties of life. And suddenly that day may come on you. All right, I think that's the end of that. So we have be careful, watch yourselves, take heed of yourselves so that you don't get weighed down. One of them said overcharged, like you've got so much to do, you're so overwhelmed that you're weighed down by them. Our translation, Holman, that we're using today is so your minds aren't dulled right? From the carousing drunkenness and worries of this life. Now, so carousing. uh, Anybody bring your dictionary? (laughs) Anybody been carousing? I don't know. We would have to know what the word meant. Uh, So drunken dissipation. Unrestrained behavior when drunk. So it would be this attitude that you probably I don't know maybe uh lived it or seen it in your in your life maybe you've seen it represented on TV. I've I've never been uh drunk and so but I've I've seen depictions of this we all kind of know that there's this there's two words here carousing and drunkenness and this carousing would be the unrestrained behavior the out of control behavior that you would uh it, that you would experience when you begin to lose like dull your your senses right and your your uh, decision making becomes less uh, clear and in fact, you might even say later i don't know i don't know what I did i don't know what I said i don 't know what I was doing, but it doesn't really matter because you were living it up you were enjoying the moment it's the idea that there's nothing to hold me back i'm just Gonna do whatever I wanna do. I'm just going for it, whatever feels right in the moment. I don't need to think about it because I'm carousing. (laughs) Drunkenness. So, drunkenness is a little different. Drunkenness is like the, uh, if you kept going, eventually you're so inebriated that you. You're out of it. I think I have a quote. Intoxication or inebriation resulting from the consumption of alcoholic beverages, characterized by impaired judgment and debilitating stupor. All right. Biblical texts frequently condemn drunkenness as a moral vice, and intoxication is contrasted with virtues of alertness and self-control. So how good are you to anybody when you wake up in the morning with a hangover— And you're like, oh, okay, I've seen the movies, right? And you're like, my head, you know, like you just want the lights back off. And all you want to do is be back asleep. And you don't know if you're late to work. You don't know what you're supposed to be doing, you know, Or, or maybe you're still awake and you're walking around in this drunken stupor. I mean, how useful are you to anybody? You don't know your name. You don't know where you came from. You don't know where you're going. And you're not even sure what your immediate needs are. You're just there. In Ephesians 5, 15 to 18, we we have these words. It says, pay careful attention to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time, because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless actions, but be filled by the Spirit. And finally, we have the warning to not let our minds be dulled by carousing, the unrestrained behavior, the drunken stupor of not knowing who you are, what you're doing, or what you're about, but also the worries of this life. And it's listed together with those other things. And the worries of this life is also like the cares of this life. Luke 10 41, 42, it's when Jesus tells Martha, Hey, Martha you're worried and upset about many things. One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen it. It's not going to be taken away from her. But we live life on this earth, and there's a lot of things to do and take care of. And there's a constant urgency to the daily tasks that are, that are set before you. And what we're being warned of is, Hey, you can get so weighed down by these things. Be careful that it's not, be careful about this so that it's not dulling your mind. What are the consequences of being dull? (laughs) What are the consequences of being dull? It's just a funny question. Uh, It seems like there's this warning about not being ready for the day of his return, right? You're not going to be ready for the day of his return. But it's funny because it also, says, it also says that it's not going to be a big secret. I mean, doesn't it say like everybody's going to see it? Like the day of his coming, I mean, everyone's going to know. So why can't I just go on living like I have been? Like we have been. Well, we are doled. Hmm, Maybe, maybe we're unprepared for the celebration that's to come. Like a bride, like a bride unprepared for the bridegroom to return, who returns to enter into marriage and finally bring her into the home that he has been preparing for her. Instead of joy, we might be ashamed of what we've been doing. Instead of ready to let go of this world, we're looking back for the things that have made us happy. Instead of feeling like you've entered into the new home that you've been dreaming, dreaming of, you're feeling like, this, this isn't how I've been living at all. This doesn't feel like home. Who is this husband? Who are all these people? What happened to all those people that I was hanging out with that were so fun and admirable? And where have all my treasures gone? I'm looking out my window. Why does he have so many crowns and rewards? Looks like he's done well. So my question is, how can we stay on guard this morning? How can we stay on guard? I want to discuss three ways that we can be on our guard. Remember, we're on our guard against being weighed down from the consequences of unrestrained, I don't care kind of living, doing whatever I want to do, from the consequences of this stupor of like, I don't know who I am. I don't know where I'm coming from. And I don't know where I'm going. I'm just here. A lump on a log. And the stupor of being too busy with your life to pay attention. So, the first one, how can we stay on our guard? Number one, we can stay on our guard by living uprightly. And I'm excited about the next little section that we're spending here together um, of, of these verses because there's so much to, you can study. And I, I've studied a lot this week about all the different uh, passages about his coming again and the tribulation times and uh, what all these things are going to look like. And um, and then I opened up some commentaries and I realized there's a whole bunch of passages that I didn't look at. And I'm like, well, I don't have that much time. So uh, it's been a really interesting study, but the application really for us is what does God want me to do? And he wants us to be alert and he wants us to be careful how we live now as we anticipate his coming. And so I did pack in a few verses, uh, passages that will kind of like speak about some of these end times things that are really exciting and fun to think about but I'm not going to try to unpack them all for you and make them all make sense and try to make a chronology for you. So, but, but they are exciting, and so I hope that you will maybe be able to go back later and look at them. So here we are in 2 Peter 3. In 2 Peter 3, it says, First be aware of this. Verse 3, it says, First be aware of this. Scoffers will come in the last days to scoff. Scoffers will scoff. Living according to their own desires, saying, Where is this promise of the coming? Ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they've been since the beginning of creation. They willfully ignore this, that long ago the heavens and the earth were brought out of the water and through water by the word of God. They just start to scoff and they say, nothing is changing Today is the same as yesterday, is the same as before that. Nothing's ever changed. But they forget that at one point in time, with God's word, he spoke and everything was created. They willfully ignore that. And then they ignore that through that same water, these same waters, the world of that time perished when it was flooded. Flooded. And it's by the same word that the present heavens and earth are stored up for fire being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of godly men. They forget that one day God created and that in one day God sent the waters to flood the earth as a punishment for the unrestrained, drunken stupor, focused on themselves types of lives that they were living. One day They were overcome. And it's that same word, God's powerful word, that says the heavens and the earth are being stored up for fire until the day of judgment and destruction of godly men. So verse 10 to 14, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. On that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will burn and be dissolved and the earth and its works on it will be disclosed or laid bare. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, it is clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness as you wait for and earnestly desire the coming of the day of God. The heavens will be on fire and dissolved because of it, and the elements will melt with the heat. Based on his promise, we wait for the new heavens and a new earth where righteousness will dwell. Therefore, dear friends, while you wait for these things, make every effort to be found, how much effort? Every effort to be found at peace with the one or with him without spot or blemish. Therefore, dear friends, since you know this in advance, be on your guard so that you are not led away by the error of lawless people and fall from your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus and savior Jesus Christ to him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity amen so what we see is that if we're hoping for a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells then we should start living today with that lifestyle we need to grow into this this is our prep this is our training ground So secondly, we can stay on our guard by watching and praying. So in Luke 21, our passage today, be careful if you aren't, your hearts will be loaded down with wasteful living, drunkenness, worries of this life. When the Son of Man returns, it'll close on you like a trap. You will not be expecting it. That day will come upon every person who lives on the whole earth. Always Always keep watching. Pray that you will be able to escape all that is about to happen. Also, pray that you will not be judged guilty when the Son of Man comes. So keep on watching. What does it mean? Well, so when I was eight years old, I was on my first baseball team. The Tigers and the Miners. My coach was a smart guy. He saw how amazingly talented I was at the game So he put me where all the best players go, right field. And here I learned my first lesson about watching. Jeff, watch the game. Jeff, pay attention. Jeff, look alive. (laughs) Apparently it was an improvement if I would just look alive. (laughs) So it seemed like staying alert was the whole point of baseball. But after a while, I'm like, what am I watching for? <laughs> watching for what? <laughs> you know, the pitcher just keeps on pitching. Once in a while, somebody hits it. It's always going to those people over there. You know, it's like, I would rather just count the blades of grass, you know, or see how many dandelions I can find, like, in the, you know. So until one day when the ball did come my way. Now, I didn't see it hit the bat, but I heard everyone yell my name. <laughs> and I looked up. <laughs> And I saw the ball in the sky, and I couldn't tell where it was going. (laughs) I didn't move forward, and I didn't move back, and I just watched it land three feet in front of me on the ground. And then I picked it up, and I threw it to somebody. And then all I could hear after that was my grandpa. Jeff! (laughs) What are you doing? You got to run up on that ball. Don't just stand there. So I complained later to my grandma, that grandpa had yelled at me. And I explained that if I had ran forward as grandpa had said, that ball would have went over my head, and how good would that have been? To which my sweet grandma replied, well, maybe if you could just run up uh, just enough so that the ball doesn't go over your head. Who knew? My grandma knew so much about, about baseball. <laughs> anyway. But what I like to do is go to Daniel chapter 12, all right, Daniel 12, and uh, it'll be on the board behind me. And so there's a bunch of complicated stuff in here, but there is a point here about watching that I find interesting, because here's the guy that was watching, right? Here's the guy that was trying to understand, trying to be ready. But well, we learn an interesting lesson from, from him. At the time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress such as not happened from the beginning of nations until then. And you'll see that repeated in Jesus' words in both Matthew, and it's in our passage, and also in Mark. So a time of distress. And, but at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will wake Some to everlasting life. Others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens. And those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, roll up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there to increase knowledge. Then I, Daniel, looked, and there before me stood two others. One on this bank of the river and one on the opposite bank, one of them said to the man clothed in linen, who was above, oh no, who was above the waters of the river, how long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? The man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, lifted his right hand and his left hand toward heaven, and I heard him swear by him who lives forever, saying, it will be for a time, times and half a time. <laughs> when the power of the Holy people, as, wait, hold on. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah, that was right. When the power of the holy people has been finally broken, all these things will be completed. I heard, but I did not understand. So I asked, my Lord, what will be the outcome of all this? And he replied, go your way, Daniel, because the words are rolled up and sealed until the time of the end. Many will be purified, made spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. From the time of the daily sacrifice, so he's like, pack it up, pack it up, Daniel. That stuff's safe for somebody else. That's safe for later, but he gives us a little nugget. From that time, from the time of the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up, it'll be 1290 days. Blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of 1335 days. So, 1290 days, interesting, it's about three and a half years, right? As for you, though, Daniel, as for you, go your way until the end. You will rest. And then at the end of the days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. Daniel was told twice by the messenger, by Gabriel, Go your way. And that's interesting to me. Because here he was, he was watching and he wanted to know. But the point was, hey, these things are for the end of times. You don't need to know it all. There's some things you need to know. I'll give you some things to chew on. Some things to look out for. But as far as you spending the rest of your life focused on when and what and all the specifics, hey, live your life. I have a life for you to live right now. So don't get stuck. It's kind of like in, uh, I think it was either Thessalonians or, or Timothy, Paul's telling the church, he's like, these people just kind of stopped working. They stopped doing anything because they were waiting for, for Jesus to come. They were so focused on the fact that Jesus is coming again that they just quit living. They quit providing for themselves. They were a burden on the church who had to take care of them. So watching and praying doesn't mean you just get stuck there. Not idle. Not idle. But it's like as you live, God wants us to be doing these things. He wants us to be watching as we live, as you go. So we're discussing how to stay on our guard, right, as we continue our daily lives. We discuss 2 Peter 3, his exert, exhortation to live godly lives. And from Daniel, we're encouraged to be watching and prayerful. So finally, I want to talk about for the rest, rest of our time that we have is that we should be looking forward with hope for the future. There's some fa- fantastic passages on your notes there uh, that I hope, I hope to read some of them this morning. I hope we can maybe do most of them. But they reveal a future that we should eagerly anticipate. Daniel was told to live the rest of his life, rest assured of the resurrection, unto all these futures hopes. Like he was, it was, it's really cool that right there you have the, he's promised to rise again and to receive an inheritance. And, but he was told to seal it up, seal up the prophecy, seal up this book. It's for a later time. But you'll see in Revelation, John was told not to seal it up. We are to have an active anticipation of these realities being ushered in. And it should characterize our hopes and our affections and thereby our daily lives. So looking forward with hope to the future, some of the things that we have to look forward to, number one, the city of God. And I wanted to talk about Abraham just for a minute. In Hebrews 11, it talks about Abraham. When he was called, he obeyed and he went out to a place he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And if you jump fast forward into Hebrews 12 verse 18, it starts with this uh, a contrast, and it says, "You have not come to what could be, you have not come to what could be touched to a blazing fire." To darkness, gloom, and storm; to the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words. So he's talking about um, Moses in the early part, like in Exodus, where he's encountering God and he's getting word from God and the and the tabernacle or the uh, the tablets, yeah, <laughs> and getting the tablets. And uh, there was this. Intensity of that surrounding that, that moment and that, that, that mountain. Those who heard it begged that not another word be spoken, for they could not bear what was commanded. And even an animal, and if even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The appearance was so terrifying that Moses said, I'm terrified and trembling. Instead, you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem to myriads of angels and festive gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn whose names have been written in heaven, to God who is the judge of all, to the spirits of righteous people made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which says better things than the blood of Abel. Make sure that you don't reject the one who speaks, for if they did not escape when they rejected him who warned them on earth, even less... Will we, if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? His voice shook the earth at that time. So they're talking about at Sinai when they get the commands and God tells them not to go up, but he lets Moses come up. And his voice shook the earth at that time, but now he was promised Yet once more I will shake not only the earth but the heavens. This expression, yet once more, indicates the removal of what can be shaken. Everything that can be shaken. That is the creative created things so that what is not shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us hold on to grace. By it we may serve God acceptably with reverence and offer our God as a consuming fire. Yeah, the coming kingdom, and we're going to actually read in Revelation what that, what that, or that city, and what that city looks like. Uh, so we can also be looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth, like it said in Second Peter three earlier, when it talked about the promise of a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness will dwell. Let's look at Revelation 21. I'm going to invite the worship team out, and uh, we're going to let this kind of transition us into a time of worship as we declare and anticipate the uh, glories of God and his coming. And I just uh, want to invite them, Just and they're going to play some background music. I'm going to be reading Revelation 21 and Revelation 22. It says in Revelation 21, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea no longer existed. I also saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will no longer exist. Grief, crying, and pain will exist no more, because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. He also said, right, because these words are faithful and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give water as a gift to the thirsty from the spring of life. The victor will inherit these things. I will be his God and he will be my son. But the cowards, unbelievers, vile, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars... Their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then one of the seven angels who had held the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came and spoke with him, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. Then he carried me away in the spirit to a great and a high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, arrayed with God's glory. Her radiance was like a very precious stone. Like a jasper stone, bright as crystal. And then it goes on to describe this city and all its dimensions and all the things that it was adorned with God's glory. And a bunch of stones I can't even pronounce, actually. But verse 22, it says, I did not see a sanctuary in it because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are at sanctuary. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it because God's glory illuminates it, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk in its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Each day its gates will never close because it will never be night there. Good job. I wanted the background music. They will bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. Nothing profane will ever enter it. No one who does what is vile or false, not, but, only those but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So there we have this, this promise of his physical and his visible presence dwelling with us. And also the future city of God as the tabernacle. And finally this morning as we turn our hearts together to long for and to anticipate the coming of Jesus I'd like to read Revelation 22 and I just want to say before I do because I'm gonna just leave the stage afterwards is may our active hope of his second coming of his coming again awaken our hearts to be careful guarding our hearts as we live our daily lives with hope and in godliness. Let's read Revelation 22. Then he showed me the river of living water, sparkling like a crystal, flowing down from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the broad street of the city. The tree of life was on both sides of the river, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree for the healing of the nations, there will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his slaves will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Night will no longer exist, and people will not need lamplight or sunlight, because the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. And then he said to me, "These words are faithful and true. And the Lord, the God of spirits of the prophets, has sent his angels to show his slaves what must quickly take place. Look, I am coming quickly." The one who keeps the prophetic words of this book is blessed. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said, don't do that. I'm a fellow slave with you. Your brothers, the prophets, and those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. He also said to me, don't seal the prophetic words of this book because the time is near. Let the unrighteous go on in unrighteousness. Let the filthy go on being made filthy and let the righteous go on in righteousness and let the holy go on being made holy. Look, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to repay each person according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. The beginning and the end. We only have a few verses left. I'm just going to read them. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices lying. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to attest these things to you for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright morning star. Both the spirit and the bride say, come. Anyone who hears should say, come. And the one who is thirsty should come. Whoever desires should take the living water as a gift. I testify to everyone who hears the prophetic words of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this prophetic book, God will take away his share of the tree of life and the holy city written in this book. He who testifies about these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all the saints. Amen. Exciting. I want to invite you to stand, if you would. I'm going to turn it over to Sam and the worship team this morning.